Hi everybody, welcome to Tic Tech Talk episode 7. This week we'll be talking about how we get our news and our Apple event reviews or reactions. Just going for that rhyme. Uh, I'm Rob. I'm Candice. And welcome. Yeah, welcome guys. Uh, we're very excited to be doing our 7th episode. I can't believe it's already at 7. Definitely. Lucky number 7. So to start us off, we've gotten a few questions from you guys and thank you so much for your feedback. Um, Candice, what is your web browser of choice? It's like the funny question to ask me this week because I'm kind of in flux. Um, I was a big Chrome person. I even used Chrome on iOS and on my MacBook. I realized I'd start draining a lot of battery on my poor old Retina MacBook Pro. So I switched to Safari now for about a year. About two weeks ago, I got so fed up with Safari not loading any links that I kind of switched back to Chrome for now on OS X. But how about you, Rob? I, uh, I use both as well. I played with Firefox a bit, but... Um... I don't know, just didn't catch me the same way Chrome and Safari did. Most of that thing is visual design. I generally use Safari for most things, but for development, Chrome is by far my go-to. That's the like tools it's, are so it's good. always the reason why I have it as a second browser, even when I was using Safari as my main one, because the web development tools are amazing. Uh, I think recently I realized too how much I love a lot of the Chrome extensions I just can't find on Safari. A lot of the uh, like productivity or get-focused applications I love on Chrome. But it makes me feel weird that it's fragmented again. Like I don't have all of my history syncing up with my iPhone and iOS devices. But how do you feel about that? Like, Yeah, I've noticed, you know, there is handoff, I was surprised, with Chrome and the iPhone. So that's a nice touch. And I think if Chrome was better on battery, I would definitely be 100% in on Chrome. Uh, I love the extensions. And most of the extensions that I use are on both. But that said, um, the battery situation and the phone stuff is nice too. So I stick with Safari for kind of like my day-to-day and Chrome for my work stuff. And I find that's a nice balance. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to return kind of what you have for your setup once Safari kind of gets kind of gets its stuff together and fixes a lot of the issues. It's just a lot of times websites wouldn't load, like our um, our LMS system for school hasn't loaded consistently for me in a while. And also uh, from TweetBot, when I click on the .tco links, those Twitter shortened links, none of them would open, even with the newest update. <laughs> I haven't had those issues, but um, I do find Safari is, you know, not quite as consistent as Chrome, which always is the best performance. And I think, you know, that shows developer support right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listeners, and we'll have more questions every week now. So moving on, Candice, where do you get your news? Where do I get my news? <laughs> um, so we kind of made a list of what we where we read from, and truthfully, Rob and I are kind of pretty similar. We talk about a lot of the same topics, I think, when we see each other, just because we read a lot of the same news sources. But probably the big one, and it's probably not a surprise to many of you because you probably read it often, is The Verge. So mm-hmm. we've been, I think, both been reading The Verge since this is my next when it started, kind of as a spinoff of Engadget and stuff. Um, but it's one of the very few technology websites that I actually go directly to in the web browser to experience. Uh, how do you feel about The Verge, Ron? Yeah, I actually have not been a fan as long as you have. I started my humble days in um, my interest in technology reading Phone Dog. I'm not sure if you're familiar I remember with, Phone with Dog. Aaron Baker. I love Aaron Baker. <laughs> did you read the website or did you watch the YouTube reviews? Uh, the website, actually. I was a true fan. Wow. Up until Aaron quit, that was when I really I, uh, I decided there was no more Phone Dog in me. But um, I did, after getting into Phone Dog and after purchasing my first smartphone, I wanted more tech. Because Phone Dog was so phone-centric. Mm-hmm. So I did go then to The Verge. Uh, I think their design is what really hooked me. And I like that their writing had, you know, it was, people give them a lot of crap for being biased. And there is bias, but in the form of an opinion, you know. It's it's well-balanced, well-stated. I feel, In my opinion, the other side is acknowledged. But I like that it's opinionated 
and passionate and you can really get a sense of how the authors feel. So, you know, it's almost like blogging journalism put together. Yeah. Much more journalism than blogging, not to, you know, discredit them, but I, I, I love their content. I think it's very I think strong. it's technology views with a personality. And I think a lot of technology websites go about being the most impartial and being the most factual and what you get is like very bland very generic writing and stuff and i don't like that i think that's the i agree with you that's why i align with the verge it's people with personalities and views that are not always dead center or so factual based on specs um and also i think a lot of people came from uh and gadget and so i think when i started reading tech news when i was younger uh, the big three for me were cnet and gadget and gizmodo so when uh josh topolsky and neil patel left and gadget i kind of followed them along on that journey and so i think it's just the progression of their career mm, i am very interested in josh and eli especially i think those guys and dieter and walt are some of my favorite authors um and for those listening i josh has published a few articles in the new yorker of all places which i've really loved um, but i totally agree it's that journalism with personality that they're not exclusively you know they're not the only ones that do that but I think they're one of the biggest outlets that does that. So it's a combination of the personality and also the breadth of coverage and the the, um, the speed at which they cover events that really hooks me and makes it like my go-to news source. Yeah. Which is what I wake up in the morning and read. Yeah, exactly. So Candace, um, another one that I really am into, um, I guess a little bit less so now, but especially when I was a Windows Phone fan, was minimally minimal. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're as familiar as I am. The only time I've read it was when I was talking to you about it. <laughs> I think you brought up a couple of the reviews that the site has produced, and I've seen them, but I've not regularly read them. Minimally minimal is definitely a blog, but it's a pretty popular blog. Um, and a current Microsoft engineer runs minimally minimal, and he looks at products and talks about the design and the user experience and goes to his own perspectives, but I think he gives a really good perspective. The photography is beautiful. And um, he goes really in depth about things that are little, but it, it makes the reviews really special. So that's a source I gravitate to a lot. Um, does he really primarily focus on just Windows stuff or what? what's the scope at this point in 2016? What does he review? Actually, well, he has kind of drifted away from reviews a little bit. He does a lot of his travels now or just gadgets he'll pick up. Like he'll review old... Um, Braun coffee makers oh, or that's watches. Cool. Okay. So anything he that strikes his fancy, which is kind of cool too. I found a lot of neat watches like I wouldn't have normally seeked out. I didn't buy them, but you know, yeah. it's it's kind of like lifestyle, but it's very tech centric. Being a Microsoft engineer, as you might expect. I think once again, I think since they, he adds his own personal touch, I think that's why you align with it. Like you kind of see his style and like the progression of his likes and stuff like that too. I think that's a common trend of what I read too. It's become a lot less corporate and a lot less like big big publishing and a lot more like personal intimate understandings of workflows and technology in that way. Definitely. And I think that's why I personally at least um, regressed from CNET. (laughs) Yeah. I remember following CNET all the time. I think the funny story I always tell is when I was in elementary school, you would have recess for the 45 minutes. Um, If it rained, you're able to stay in and then get time on the computer. But if it was sunny, obviously you go out like a normal kid. Uh, But during the weeks that they had CNET, like during January, Mm -hmm. I would ask to stay inside to read CNET to follow their CES coverage. Oh, yeah. They they do cover a lot. I got to give them that. And uh, it was actually the first original place that I started listening to podcasts. So my first two podcasts were Gadgets and Buzz Out Loud by CNET. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of hold a special place in my heart. (laughs) Um, They've always been my original tech source. That's cool. Very cool. 
Um, so the next one is on my list, and I think it kind of aligns with your last pick, uh, but it's Max Stories. So if you don't know Max Stories, it is a website published by Federico, Federico Vittici uh, and Friends, a lot of other writers too. Um, but this isn't your typical Apple rumor news site. When I first saw their name, I automatically assumed it was, and I wasn't really looking into that. But if you go to the website, it's um, Federico, who's actually iPad only, and he was one of the, really the first people to really focus on that. And it's a lot of in-depth understanding of really great Mac uh, iOS software, understanding workflows and technologies from the perspective of being really thoughtful. And I've always loved his long form stuff. He's published really, really long iOS reviews, workflows, um, things like that. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Candace introduced me to Mac Stories, um, and I would highly recommend it to anybody uh, not only an Apple fan, but anybody who's interested in mobile-first software or that perspective. I think Federico is a great uh, case for that. He's very much mobile-centric in a way that I don't think any other author is, at least not that I've read. And that gives him a really great perspective or a perspective I really appreciate. And um, that's what really makes it resonate. And again, that passion and his personality are awesome. Yeah, and that idea, I think it's so progressive. Like he is one of the very few people I know who've gone full-time iPad only, but it's like sparked this inspiration, I think for me personally to consider my workflow and how can I go thinking more, like how do I go more iOS centric and do iPad only and stuff like that too. Um, you'll probably hear me talk about it all the time on this podcast because that's pretty much all I talk about these days. <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of it stems from this inspiration from Mac Stories and I love all their stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I guess to, onto the next two, I think these are two, pretty obvious ones, and these are the typical Apple news stories, but none of five Mac and Mac rumors. Um, but I don't think they really write that in-depth stuff. I only really follow it for rumors and then leaks, but do you read anything else on these websites? I used to be big on uh, Windows Phone Central, now Windows Central since they've unified the platform, uh, which I view as kind of similar to nine to five Mac, you know, these sources where every now and then there's like a really thought out piece, but it's a lot of just like covering absolutely everything pertaining to a topic. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I read 95 Mac. I'm subscri subscribed to them on Twitter. Uh, Mac rumors to a lesser extent. So, I, you know, I enjoy it. I think they serve a purpose, kind of covering all those bases. So if you're really invested in your platform, there's one of those for every platform that I know of. Uh, but that said, they don't bring the same passion to it that we've already talked about. So I like them. You know, I feel like it's a good tool to really make sure you're in touch with the platform yeah. that you're most interested in. But again, not the same depth. Yeah, I don't like, I don't always really enjoy talking about Apple speculation. People love thinking about what the new phone's going to come out, but it won't be for another nine months. And people love following like part leaks and stuff. And that's what they, I feel like they specialize in sometimes. Not really into that, but I think it's important to stay on top of what might happen when the announcements do come. Yeah, it's fun to, it's perfect for a Twitter feed. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next two, I think, are websites that I mainly follow or mainly yeah. on my list. Sell um, me on them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so both of these kind of live in the Relay.fm universe. So Relay.fm is a podcasting network. I've been listening to a lot of their podcasts. Um, and so these two websites, Six Colors and Max Sparky, are both from people who make podcasts there. So Six Colors is a website by Jason Snell, and he used to be the editor-in-chief for Macworld. So he's been doing um, Apple journalism since like for over 22 years or something. Wow. So he has really great insight. I've been reading his stuff since I was really young and he's a great podcaster. So <laughs> he does a site uh, on Six Colors. And then Max Sparky is David Sparks, who is the host of Mac Power Users, probably my favorite podcast right now. Um, and he does some more, once again, like very similar to Mac Stories um, and Six Colors. But both stuff, it's 
two bloggers. They have a very personal voice. Um, and I really trust their opinions about Apple and productivity. So I like reading their stuff. Sounds like two longtime Apple fans, right? Yeah. Okay. And um, are these exclusively podcasts? Uh, Six Colors and Max Sparky are websites. They're blogs. Okay. Um, and the writers are also on very prominent podcasts where they have similar topics that they discuss. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I'm definitely going to check those out now, actually. That sounds really good. Um, a big Apple site, I know, yeah. that we both know, and probably a lot of people. Um, but he's actually most well-known for his Markdown page, apparently, during Fireball. Well, John, you know John Gruber is the creator of Markdown, right? I actually didn't know that. Yeah, he's the inventor <laughs> of Markdown. So he was actually like a pioneer of web publishing in general. And when he realized that it was too time-consuming to write HTML to publish for the web, he created the syntax for Markdown. Fascinating. I actually didn't know that. I'm relatively new to the Daring Fireball universe, um, but that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> I don't, truthfully, I'm a big Apple fan. I, I've always referred to him and I know what John Gruber is and his prominence in the community, but I have never read his stuff consistently. Mm. Well, his stuff's very different than a lot of other pieces. You know, he's he writes very little, but it's very concise and well-stated. I always see him taking those big quotes and putting a lot of comments on those. Yeah. Um, but, but that's great. You know, it's something I love about some of these other places is they don't only promote their own work, but they'll take something else and put their spin on it or tell you why it's good. And I appreciate that. You know, it's it's culturing. <laughs> yeah. And he just has so much history. He is the creator of Markdown, and he's been writing about Apple for so long. It's really interesting to now see his take on Apple. Especially, I think, a lot of people are still searching out for what this era is post-Steve Jobs. And I think he has a really great understanding of what it could be uh, and where Apple is going after after this whole era. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who like the um, Apple versus Google event or debate, there's a couple of great podcasts with him and Joshua Topolsky talking about the design and the philosophy behind iOS and Android that are really uh, engaging and I can't get enough of that stuff. Um, so yeah, this is one that I don't know if you listen to so much. Yeah, I haven't seen them before. So A16Z is a venture capital group out in Silicon Valley. And um, a couple of other guys, Benedict Evans and Mark, I'm going to say this wrong. It's like, it's not Anderson. It's like Anderson. He created um, Netscape, actually. Oh, wow. Well, so okay. that's coming. If you search up the Netscape founder, that's the guy. But both of them are really big presences on Twitter. Um, I want to specifically highlight Benedict Evans because he has a newsletter and a blog that produces some really insightful content. Um, he made a piece on TripAdvisor reviews in the App Store and how some people are putting reviews for actual locations there, kind oh, of highlighting yeah. that disconnect. I remember seeing that. He does some other really insightful pieces like that where he, he can he can look at a system and give you a really interesting take that most people don't see. So I really love Benedict Evans for that. He's just a general technology connoisseur. Um, and also Mark, they both have excellent content and I would highly recommend them. Um, A16Z also is a podcast I know. And if you're looking to pitch a product, they're a great company. <laughs> yeah, definitely add them to my, I've never seen them before, but like, since you read them and you listen, I'll, I need to expand my sources. I feel they're, like, sorry. Oh, I, I feel like I'm like really stuck in like this circle where it's a lot of really FM people and I really enjoy the content, but sometimes when they don't produce as often, I'm still thirsty for more. Benedict Evans and um, Mark are best consumed via Twitter, I feel. They put everything on Twitter. They're always tweeting. It's almost too much, but it's good content. Oh, okay. That's actually even better, too. Um, we might talk about it later, but I feel like most of the time I just treat Twitter as an RSS feed or mm -hmm. a live feed of the internet. Um, it's only when I run out of stuff to read on Twitter, I go to RSS and the websites and stuff like that, too. So that actually might work out even better. Interesting. I actually don't use RSS at all, but maybe I should start. It's... 
I think we're going to go into this. We're going to, uh-huh. uh, we have one more news source <laughs> that we're going to talk about. And then we're kind of going to dive deep into our understanding of how we actually consume all these different sources. Okay. I'll hold off. <laughs> um, but for, I guess the last one that um, we both read is Medium. And Medium is more of a platform versus, I guess, a source because it's a platform for anyone to write thought-provoking pieces. Is that the right way of thinking about Medium? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I love Medium. I think the breadth of people you get on there, you know, like creators of products and um, big people in industry who wouldn't normally host a regular blog or if they do, you know, it's it's hard to find all those blogs. But when you put something on Medium, it can get so big and so popular and it's such a broad audience. I love it. Yeah. Um, I only recently started reading more Medium too. I, like every once in a while when there was a really big post, I would click onto it. Um, but I feel exactly the same way you do um, where it doesn't make sense to write a blog where it's so hard to get traffic traditionally. And so Medium is where to share the big message. And I think that's what really spurred me to write my post about this podcast on Medium, knowing that mm-hmm. it could be shared and uh, and almost uh, collected into one area where a lot of people could come and get feedback. And I love how Medium, uh, at least I feel this way, you know, there's a consistency with articles, but they also look unique. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of great customizability, and I think it really allows writers to get their message across. I think it's one of those great examples where the technology kind of fades away and allows true content creation. Just like we were talking about Markdown, like for you to really get into blogging and you want to run it on your own, even on Squarespace or something, you might need to learn some HTML or Markdown. Um, but if you have something to say and you're not that techie, you can go into Medium and use this very WYSIWYG interface just to create the content that you want to share. You don't have to worry about logistics of sharing. Um, I think that's why it's super powerful. And I, I love it now too. Mm, definitely. So Candace, back to RSS. <laughs> so when you wake up in the morning, you're hungry for news, you've just missed eight hours of content, mm-hmm. presumably eight. Um, do you go to your RSS reader? And how do you, does that differ for you than a Twitter feed, which I think... Um, could be seen as the RSS feed of the 2010s? Um, So truthfully, when I wake up in the morning, I don't go to RSS directly. I think the first two places that I go to check up um, is obviously Twitter. And I try not to be a full Twitter completionist, but most of the time I'm procrastinating, getting out of bed. I'll read all the tweets that I miss when I was sleeping, and it's about a couple, at least 500 or 600 tweets. <laughs> I scroll through all of them and I just see if I've missed anything. It was a lot more difficult too when I lived in Hong Kong because it was a full eight hours of oh all American news. So I never finished it then, but that's what I do. And then most of the time, truthfully, I go into Narwhal, which is my Reddit app of choice. And I go to like two or three subreddits. So it's usually the MBA. It's usually iPad right now. And it's uh, Apple and our school one. Do you go with a vanilla Reddit experience? Like you don't have an account? Or do you personalize it and customize it to you? Because I know a couple of people who very specifically do not make accounts, so they get the vanilla experience, and then they manually visit their subreddits. I think the I think my power of Reddit is the custom like making this tailored, almost like magazine for everything that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. even the really bizarre stuff. Um, so I believe in making the account. Um, I definitely don't have as much karma as many other people. I don't comment <laughs> often, um, but I do upvote, and every once in a while, I do um, I do post something. But I like having a concise list of all the things I'm interested in, and I like being able to log in. Hmm. How about you? I share your view. I have an account as well. Um, just the way you were talking about visiting those subreddits provoked that question. Um, very seldom do I visit a specific subreddit. I'm usually glued to that homepage. Um, and I, you know, I also like the vanilla experience, so I yeah. often subscribe to a lot of popular subreddits that don't yeah. necessarily interest me. But I know there's big content there that'll probably be elsewhere on the internet. So I'll subscribe and just get it. Truthfully, when I'm super, super bored and I have nothing else to read, I'll do the Reddit front page or then I'll do the Reddit all. 
Um, and I think a lot of times those three or four subreddits that I go to in the mornings, it's like it's like the topic that I'm obsessed with for that time. So I feel like I, every six months I change into something new that I'm really obsessed with. Currently, it's back into iPad. For a while, it was Chrome OS. Um, back when I was in Hong Kong, it was Android TV. It was coffee for a while. It's a lot of random stuff, um, but I think it's the reason why I go there directly. I want to see the newest stuff from people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So in addition to that, we have our podcasts. Obviously, we listen to some podcasts since we're creating one. <laughs> What's your workflow with podcasts and uh, what are a few of your favorites? Um, for So I guess for the apps, what do you use for your podcasting app? I think we don't share the same one or we don't use the same one. No. So I've actually switched to the classic podcasting app on the iPhone. I was using Overcast for a bit. I still might switch back. I was kind of just experimenting with this one. Mm-hmm. But I want to try out the 3D Touch. I want to know what most of our listeners are using was part of it. Um, and, you know, there's also the desktop component to that, which I liked. So I was just playing with it. That's what I'm using right now. I do miss Overcast. I like their speeding up and slowing down the podcast and the audio enhancement features. Yeah. But uh, truthfully, the podcasting app on the iPhone, the stock one is just adequate for my needs. And what are your like it. biggest gripes with it? And then what are your like favorite things about it? My biggest gripes? Well, I, I just feel like the interface isn't as streamlined as Overcast. You know, that said, like, it's perfectly adequate. Uh, my mother uses it to give you a point. Like, it's it's very usable. Yeah. Um, but Overcast is very much right to the content. And to somebody who doesn't want listen to that many podcasts, it can sometimes be a little bit much for me. But that said, um, you know, there's no real gripes. It's, it's very much fine. It's mm-hmm. okay. I just like some of the features Overcast has. Yeah, um, I don't use the podcast app, and I'm pretty strongly against it. But I think it was just I used it right when it first came out, and I really didn't like the experience. And I think we have this philosophical disagreement, but I try not to use the stock apps often because I don't like the idea that most of these apps only get updated when software updates come out for the operating system on the phone. Mm -hmm. Especially for a podcast app for me personally, which I use all the time, I want new features and I want good functionality, and I don't want to wait on Apple's timeline. Um, so coming from that, I use Pocket Cast, which is an app made by Shifty Jelly. Uh, I've been using them since iOS 3 or 4. I think you might be able to find it, uh, me listening to it, uh, when I did a What's on my iPhone 3GS or iPhone 4 video back in the archives. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan. They sync their playlist. They now have a web player as well. Um, but there's just something about the interface that's super intuitive. Um, it's not as minimal and classic, I feel like, as Overcast, uh, but they've never led me astray. They've always been so consistently good um, that I just love them so much. Hmm. I am a fan of podcasts. Um, I'm not sure if you, I, I told you, but when I was on Android, I actually got the app. Um, and the only reason I didn't get it on iOS was just because I didn't want to buy it again. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, I think it's still one of the very few cases when I went on that Android sabbatical. I've heard that the Pocket or uh, the uh, Pocket Cast app is better on Android than it is on iOS. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it was, was it was really solid. good. I was really worried about having to switch to Android. And one of my biggest apps was Pocket Cast, but I was like super relieved that it was really, really good. If Overcast wasn't free right now, I probably would still be on Pocket Casts. Oh, really? Are you yeah. planning to become a patron or anything for Overcast? I know Marco changes pricing scheme and stuff, and it adds that function. Or do you know how the pricing model works right now? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's almost like a volunteer thing. You become a patron, and then you pay him a subscription. I think it's like a dollar a month or something. Uh, maybe. I'm just kind of, you know, in podcast limbo right now. I'm not really sure where I want to be. And I honestly don't listen to as many as I'd like to. I used to listen to them a lot more when I was driving. And now that I'm at school, I don't drive that often. When I drive home, I usually binge a good number, but yeah, I'm like that too. Because I'm not doing it so regularly, it's not something I'm actually evaluating. So right now, 
No. In the future, though, when I'm presumably going to be commuting somewhere, probably I'll definitely consider it because I definitely want to pay my respects to the good developers. Yeah. And he's a great developer. I think recently, too, he released like the dark mode and some other extra functionality that requires you to become a patron, too. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how he just kind of like in the middle of it, just changed his mind on his pricing model instead of an in-app purchase. He just like, oh, it's the patron. It's very interesting. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about subscription for such a critical app in my life, uh, but I think it's I think it's interesting and thought-provoking in what he's doing. Subscriptions are very interesting. And I think, you know, with the way the App Store has pricing and everything laid out, we're definitely going to see a lot more of that, which is, um, you know, in some ways a shame, but also a good thing, I guess. It'll be interesting to see, but that's definitely a topic for another day. So um, using these podcast apps, um, what are the main ones that you listen to? So my biggest ones, uh, I love Tomorrow with Joshua Topolsky, The Verge Cast, Control Walt Delete, and Tic Tac Talk. Oh yeah, I love <laughs> listening to that. Um, have you guys ever heard of it? Um, I think out of all those, I listen to Control Walt Delete. That's my big overlap. I used to listen to a Verge Cast a lot. Um, I kind of got a little bit over it because sometimes it just feels like there's too many people talking over each other or it gets a little bit too chaotic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just want really good technology insight. And I think Walt Mossberg is just a genius. I love his commentary and I love his insight. So I think aside from Mac Power users, that has been my favorite podcast. I've been yelling about it off the rooftops recently. I agree. I love Walt. You know, he's always like right in the money for lack of a better word. I feel like he's so in touch with how most consumers feel and i agree Walt has great insight um you also mentioned to me mac power users and i've been listening to that a little bit mm -hmm. um as well as daring fireballs podcast i forget what it's called now um it's like the talk show i think the talk show yeah the talk show i've listened to that a little bit i love his insight um and i know mac source is a podcast too i'm interested in which you know, I think that's an interesting trend. A lot of these publications also do a podcast, or maybe not a trend, but I appreciate that, I guess, so that you can get them audio or via web. Yeah, I think I think one reason I think podcasts are so powerful too, it gives you that personal touch. So even if Rob and I were to like start a blog or stuff, I feel like the conversations that we have can lead to more insights that you might not get with just traditional writing. And I think that's what's so powerful about having our favorite publishers on it too. Definitely. <laughs> I was saying to Candace earlier, we should almost record our conversations before these podcasts because often we get so entrenched in the topics we're planning to talk about. We basically could have had two episodes done by the time we finally finished recording. I wish our producer was here today to uh, help us with the podcast, but she always yells at us because we always have these giant enticing conversations that lead us to not record the show for an hour because we're too busy talking about the topics. <laughs> Lots to do a pre-show, post-show, and show. Yeah, exactly. Um, so lastly, you know, we have all this content that we want to consume. Uh, we touched on this a little bit with the podcast, but do you want to go into what apps you use or have tried out to view yeah. the content? Um, so I'm still an RSS person. I believe in that control of con having the sources that I want and it's shown chronologically. For the longest time, I was using Unread on the iPhone, which is a um, just like a very basic RSS app and has really cool gestures. I kind of got sick of it for some reason. I just didn't like the way it had the feed and the gestures. So I've moved back into Feedly, which is my main RSS engine anyway, since Google Reader has died. Um, but truthfully, it, Rob thinks I'm a big RSS fangirl. I don't love it, but I use it whenever I want to catch up on the news or have, you know, my short, concise list of sources that I just want to see whatever I miss if I had a long, busy day. Um, but you don't use RSS. So what do you use? No, I, you know, I think that's um, a good point about RSS. It's very much utility, not necessarily the best way to get it mm -hmm. or the prettiest, but it, it works very well. Um, and kind of, kind of conversely, 
I've been trying out Apple News and Play Newsstand as kind of these news aggregates and curating services where they'll bring you the articles in this beautiful format with great typography and animations. Um, but I keep going back to just using my web browser or using Pocket or something different where I, like you said, I'm much more in control of the reading experience because the articles are never there on time, things don't display correctly. Yeah. Or the worst is I'll go to open an article in uh, Apple News or Play Newsstand, depending on the device, and it'll say view in web browser. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> that's that the whole is, reason I switched. Yeah, like that's the exact reason. Like I want that type of conscious formatting. And if it leads you back into the browser, like what's the point? If it's delayed and then it's going through another like another system that a lot of publishers have to do, I think for Apple News. Um, that's why I don't use it. We spoke about it a little bit earlier. I'm not a fan of Apple News. I used it right when it came out. I wasn't a fan. I just went back to Feedly. Yeah, I have to agree. Except for the fact that you can get great access to the New York Times in it without going through that paywall. I pretty much just, uh, you know, I check every now and then, but I usually use the sources themselves. You just go directly. So in the browser, yeah. you just go to each website and stuff. Yeah, I um, my homepage is kind of laid out with like the sources I visit most. So I have The Verge. I have Twitter there, which is where I got a lot of sources. Um, I do sometimes check Facebook. I like the instant articles that they've come out with lately. Yeah. I think those are really cool. I'm curious to see where that goes more so. Um, and then a Reddit also. Yeah. Those are my big ones. I think I think RSS has to be used properly. I think a lot of people try to use it as a way of fixing the problem where they follow too many sources. Like they follow over 100 and then they get overwhelmed and stop using it. I think for both of us, we want really mindful curation of our sources. And like it won't be a big problem if um, you don't use an app because you can just go to each of them and it's still not that time consuming. Mm. A source I've actually used a lot more recently uh, would definitely be Snapchat. I don't know if you use it, but the Discover the Stories. Oh, really? Every morning, I check the Mashable story, the Vox story, the IGN story, and the Washington Journal, or the Wall Street Journal story. Really? I check those, yeah, because they're quick. I can just click through. I mean, you know, sometimes I don't even read them, but it's a good update. They're usually not the most up-to-date. Like, I've noticed if I check the website, it's roughly a day behind in content. Oh, okay. But um, especially Vox, actually, has some really great stuff. They break their video into, like, these slides with, like, animations, and you can roll um, or swipe up and read more on like each individual segment of the video it's it's pretty good and you know i am um, maybe getting in touch with the with the new generation of media <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting and snapchat can be like a real news source in a lot of ways i think that's so interesting i like totally believe in the idea of snapchat becoming the next big platform i've just never used it yet it's, i'm still using it on a very like personal intimate level where i just it's just friends i follow people it's almost become like the newest instagram or facebook for me it's interesting what they're doing. I'm excited. I have to explore it more personally. It didn't really hit me until I read like one article that I loved. Like, I think I found something good on Mashable once. I read it and I was like, oh, this is good. I should keep coming back. And, you know, most mornings I'll just skip right through. It's usually stuff like I've already read or mm -hmm. I just really don't care. But every now and then there'll be like some gem and there'll be some, uh, they have some nice presentation. And especially for sources, like it's almost good for like your B-list sources, like I check IGN every now and then. It's not always the best, but they sometimes have cool things that I appreciate. So it's it's good in that sense. It, it feels like a niche where I just want to be in touch with these services, but don't yeah. really want to get deep into them. That's interesting. I really like that idea. So I'm going to check it out more then. I'm going to check it tomorrow. And the best part is, you know, you, you get like a preview of the article because they'll show you like that little clip. And then if you want to read it, you have the option to swipe up. So it gives you a lot of control over how much or how deep you get into the content. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Okay. 
Um, so we actually wanted to spend the last portion of today's episode kind of going over the Apple event. Um, so we had actually a really short, I guess you can call it like a Periscope and webcast on Facebook. Um, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and everything to see us live when it happens when we do it again. Uh, but we just kind of wanted to go over the main big things that happen on Apple's event. Um, so the first thing is the release of the iPhone SE. Um, what are your thoughts about it, Rob? Yeah, you know, I think just speaking to the mobile industry, I think the fact that they're selling a new iPhone for four hundred dollars is is a bombshell. That's that's huge. That more than anything else, I think, was my biggest takeaway. And I think that was just incredibly powerful. You know, that I, I can think of so many people in my life where that would appeal to them right now who want a new phone but don't want to pay that four hundred dollar price tag. Yeah. So that really left a huge impression on my mind. I think we're really starting to see um, Apple under Tim Cook with that move and Apple moving into emerging markets too, like India and China. So that was fascinating to me. The pricing was super interesting. The pricing too, I think this is the right way that they should have done the iPhone 5C. Like they wanted the iPhone 5C to be this playful, I'm going to do quote unquote more affordable option alternative to the flagship iPhones. And while they did sell well, I guess, because I see them a lot personally, anecdotally, um, but this is the full-fledged attempt. This is not really old internal hardware in a cool shell. It's the complete opposite, right? It's all new spec'd out phones, 6S components in the shell of a 5, 5S. So I think that's super powerful. I think that's the right move by Apple. And it's still really efficient based on supply chain because they still have all of these components that they've been making for so many years. Definitely. And you know what's super interesting to me is like I'll see people post about this phone being like, I want it knowing full well that they have a brand new iPhone 6S. I think there's something about that design that's almost nostalgic for people. And and for people who don't have it, you know, I have friends with small hands that want that phone so bad. It's interesting to find people who are not techie. Like for me, I'm, I'll be honest, I'll probably be a little subconscious. I always want the newest. I want the flashiest, the latest and greatest. And there's these people who are really in love with the design, who are willing to even take a step back, maybe even go from a six or success back into what the 5 SE is. I think that's just so interesting. I'll be really interested too, to see like how market share fares have after the release of this. You know, Google's been really dominating in sheer quantity with a lower price, better specs. I, I, I don't know. I know, I think especially in some emerging markets, um, I've noticed when a lot of international students at our school come here, they're quick to pick up some of the Apple technology. I wonder what's gonna happen. And I think that will be really interesting to watch where the crowds go. Yeah, and just maybe even the breakdown of screen sizes now. Now we're back to that three model play that Apple, I think, is trying to move to, right? You have it with the laptops where you have, I guess the 12 and one is really kind of like 11, 12, 13, and 15. And then for the iPads, you have the mini, the standard, now you have the larger Pro. And now with the iPhone, you're back to the four inch, the 4.7 inch, and the 5.5 inch. So truthfully, probably most people are going to go in the Goldilocks middle. Uh, there's going to be a vocal subset of me who love the bigger phone. And now uh, Apple is going back and catering the people who love that traditional four inch size. So you think, um, when you say middle, do you mean they're gonna go with the iPhone 6 as opposed to like the 6S? Or do you mean they're gonna go with like the middle size screen? The middle size screen. Okay, okay, yeah. I would agree with that. I think this puts the 6 in a really weird spot because it's worse in some ways than the cheapest option. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a weird transitional time, but I think once we go through the new cycle of phones when the newest phone comes out, it's gonna self-regulate. Cause mm-hmm. I think I agree with what Walt said um, in Control Walt Delete. Um, they're not gonna constantly update the 5SE. They've made it super up-to-date and fast. So it has a long-term longevity. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I think it was super interesting to see 
I, this is probably the most interesting like market-centered moves I think we've seen them make in a long time. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens next. Honestly, I can't, like, if I told, if someone told me a year ago that Apple would redesign or just re-release, not even redesign, the iPhone 5S and people would be really positive and gung-ho about it, I, I'm still kind of startled about how everyone is so positive about it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's old hardware design and, like, you understand Apple's intentions and I'm surprised that people are so okay with it. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. It, you know, in some ways you feel like you're almost getting cheated, but it's a very reasonable deal. It's great hardware. What's to complain about? I, I would love to try one out, you know, even though I have a 6S, just to see like the performance side by side. I don't know, you know, sometimes I do miss that smaller one figure experience. Initial reviews said that the battery life is also spectacular, that they really increase the battery life. And since it's pushing a lot less pixels than a traditional 6S or 6 Plus, people are getting crazy battery life out of it, which is just so interesting. And I know with the um, the Sony Xperia's, I think those are previous to the SE, the prevailing small per, smaller phone of choice because mm-hmm. they packed a lot of power on a small size, but I know they still had compromise. So I, I wonder what's going to happen now, you know? I bet Android will definitely respond to this as they usually do. Yeah, I think I think for a little bit what Motorola was doing for making their flagships smaller than the competition really had them stand out and be a really great alternative. They've kind of turned their back on it now because now their newest flagships are a little bit larger. But I think it's just so interesting that um, we have this phone that was released almost, what, four years ago, and people are so enthralled with it that Apple was willing to re-release it. Yeah, it's really interesting. So moving on from that, um, something else that we found very interesting about the recent Apple event was the iPad Pro, the 9.7-inch model. And particular to that, um, I know Candace has a lot of thoughts because she's planning on getting one, but the bundling of an Office 365 subscription with it. I mean, Microsoft, Apple is actively pushing Microsoft services on this product, which from my recollection, is pretty much a first. Yeah, actually, it's a funny story. Um, last night, which was, I guess, Wednesday night, I woke up at 3 a.m., which is midnight um, Pacific time. I was planning to pre-order the iPad Pro, and I kind of went through the process. I didn't end up doing it uh, because I'm looking for an in-store pickup. But the first thing I did notice was after you choose the iPad and they ask you about what case do you want to buy and now they have pencil, the next thing is not an Apple product, Microsoft Office, which is totally crazy to think. Uh, Another fun tidbit that we just talked about um, recently this week is due to uh, Microsoft's policies, if you buy a 9.7 inch iPad, you're able to edit and create Word documents using their apps for free without the need for subscription. Which makes the subscription inclusion even more interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, like, are people still willing to go with Pages, which is pre-installed now with iOS, or are people going to be comfortable moving to Microsoft, right? There's such a big dominance of the Office suite. And it's interesting to have Apple continue to push it. And a point we were both kind of talking about uh, prior to this was, you know, what is the iPad Pro positioned as? Apple's been pretty clear this is a computer replacement. And uh, we think for a lot of people, the words Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft PowerPoint equal computer to a lot of people. So um, my thought is this is a big push that this is a full computer. You are purchasing desktop class software with it. And I think it'll be super interesting to see how this is perceived by the market. Um, Had I the money, I would definitely be interested in picking one up. I think it's a really interesting machine. I'm just so excited. Um, I think a big shift for a lot of people's mind, in my mind personally, of what the iPad can do in terms of, of productivity came with iOS 9 split screen. Um, and then, truthfully, like also the idea of that they make an iPad 
Pro that is the same size as a traditional laptop. So that has really shifted my mind on what I can do. Uh, I'm really excited to pick up, I'm planning to buy an iPad Pro 9.7 inch uh, silver 128 gigabyte in Wi-Fi with only Wi-Fi. Um, and I, I've not had an iPad for three weeks now. I sold my iPad Air. I really miss it. Really? And I'm super excited to get one back now. <laughs> I think before I sold it, I kind of had the same mixed feelings where I thought it was one of those things where it's nice to have, um, but I don't actively always recommend it. Just like how I feel about the Apple Watch. But right now, I really miss having a tablet around. It, it played a lot of big roles in my life. I really could see from a perspective, somebody who kind of had an established tablet workflow, how that will change when you have a more, I think it's safe to say more productive device, you know, with more capabilities. And you are getting the pencil too. Yeah, so. I am. I think that's the one big thing. I think a lot of my traditional workflows won't change because I've had a pretty robust one working with my iPad, especially as a college student. I'm excited to see what I can do with the pencil in terms of note taking productivity and especially probably if you guys know me personally how it fits into my Evernote system. I've mm -hmm. been working on a couple different workflows uh, just trying some stuff out on my iPhone. Super excited to implement it on an iPad. I, I want to see what happens too. Um, so as we wait in anticipation for the episode I think we're going to sign off. Yep um, so thank you so much guys for listening. Um, you can find us at on Twitter uh, now on Instagram uh, on Facebook and Periscope so we are Tic Tac Talk Show uh, for each of those. Um, you can pretty much subscribe to us to every podcast service under the sun, including iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, uh, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, we also really appreciate if you guys took the time to rate and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. I know a lot of you guys don't, uh, but it's still a really important way for us to get more listeners and more support. So we really appreciate that. Um, I am Candice Poon at Candice Poon on Twitter. Uh, Rob is at rrusso44. Uh, and thank you so much for listening, guys. See you soon. Bye.